Hi, David. It's Stuart Taylor. How are you? Good, mate. I was wondering if I could ask you a few questions in your role as CEO of Brisbane Raw. Sure. I'm interviewing Warren Moon for the Future Champions podcast, and you recently appointed him as your Brisbane Raw Academy General Manager. It's a bold and refreshing choice. Could you tell us how you came to that decision? Bold's probably a word, but I, I would probably say more measured. We we spent a lot of time when we started the academy, because it's only just over 12 months old now. And when we looked at the next person to lead it forward, it's, it was very important to us that someone had to have a resonation with Queensland, importantly. They had to have the, the knowledge of the local NPL system, They'd have to have a very good broader knowledge of what it takes to be a successful player. Have to have a very good knowledge of pathways and the importance, especially leading into A-League. And, and obviously Warren's played at that level as well. And then we went through the process and it was very much around character. And when we interviewed Warren uh, extensively about his views on where the Raw should be going, the broadness of our academy, the importance of the regional areas as well, uh, and then really commence that uh, talent ID aspect of it. It was a very natural fit, and he was a standout candidate for that role. Welcome to the Gospel According to Warren Moon. Warren is the General Manager of the Brisbane Raw Academy and one of Queensland's most highly regarded football coaches. He was a professional footballer for Brisbane Strikers and Queensland Raw, before moving to Scotland to chase his dream of playing football in the United Kingdom. Unfortunately, his football career was cut short due to a debilitating injury. Warren returned to Australia to commence his journey as a football coach. This podcast will be broken into two parts. Part one will focus on Warren's journey as a player, and part two will focus on his journey as a coach. Warren is refreshingly honest in sharing his story. Here is part one. Can you talk about your junior experience in, in sport? Uh, was it just football or were you involved in a range of different sports? Uh, well, firstly, thanks for having me, Stuart. It's, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to do this, so appreciate you uh, asking me to do this. Yeah, I started junior football in Australia. I moved to Australia quite young. Uh, played football, but I did other sports as well. I did cricket. Uh, rugby, tennis, I, I did a lot of everything growing up in Australia and I think it was definitely beneficial to me as a footballer knowing I could do a, a whole multi-range of sports growing up and I think it actually helped me as I got into uh, my teenage years and I sort of honed in more more seriously on my football. So you, you started having the aspirations to progress in your football as a teenager. What did that require with the other sports? Well, I think when you grow up in Australia, especially in Queensland, you have the opportunity to play cricket in the summer and things like that. Football was always number one for me and I was always most serious about that. But I think when you hit sort of that 13, 14, 15 age, you sort of have to start to make a choice about the sport that you, you want to do most. And obviously it was football for me. So my, uh, my dedication and attention to that started to become more and more. So the other sports had to fall by the wayside. And when did you start achieving outcomes in your junior development growing up playing football i think when you start to get put a year up or, or play a couple of years up as it happened for me when i was 14 i was playing under 16s which was a junior colts competition back in back in the day and then 15 i was playing senior colt and so i kept getting jumped age groups so in terms of outcomes i could see progression there in my football and i was obviously getting tested and challenged so so that was one for me knowing that i was okay at it i could see i was not a bad little player um, and I was obviously getting progressed 
and and they were my sort of outcomes. So for me, it was a case of well, I'm here at senior cult level now. I want to play reserves, and now I want to play first team men's. And by sixteen, I got my first opportunity playing men's football for Turinga Rovers, which was my uh, junior club. And were there people around you that were? instrumental in your development or supported you or gave you encouragement? Yeah, my parents. I think my parents were my biggest sort of influence in the sense that in in a really weird way, they weren't really that interested in football. And it probably was a good thing. My dad, who I love to death, he wasn't really a football lover. In a way, it was a good thing because I had my football game win, lose or draw, you'd come off and I had my dad, he'd maybe make one little comment about well done or unlucky. And then he would be talking or wanting to do something else. My mum was a bit more nurturing. She she would show an interest and, and look to comfort or give encouragement depending on the result. But she was also another one that was, I think, loved it because I loved it. But yeah, I didn't get in a good way too much advice or anything like that. It was more from a nurturing standpoint that the influence from my parents came through and it probably allowed me to just play the game. It is a big commitment for parents to take on a player or or a child that is showing real signs of being able to progress in their sports. How challenging, looking back, do you think it was for your parents uh, to assist you in chasing your dream? Well, it's a really interesting question. I, you know, I look at eras and I look at try and look at the bigger picture now that I'm a bit older. And I grew up in an era where we never produced more Socceroos or professional players from Queensland. I look at the era now. And about where we're going with our football and, and and going down the path of we need to do more, we need to do more, we need to do more. But yet we seem to be producing less players in a professional environment or in the Socceroos level. So did my parents sacrifice? Absolutely. They were great at taking me places. Did they push me to do extras in terms of sprint training or extra skill sessions with private entities? No, they didn't. They gave me a grounded upbringing. Homework was important. Other sports, if I wanted to do it, was important. And I think what that did, that put the emphasis on me to go out and do it myself. If I wanted to be a professional football player, then I've got to go out and do it. So that was my time, my hours in the back garden, my extras that I would do on top of club training or or, or rep training. And I think that gave me good accountability of where I was going to go or what I needed to do to achieve that. And how did you learn that accountability at such a young age? Well, I think if you want something, then you're going to go and do it. I think it's very dangerous in this day and age when, when any child now I see gets shown any type of ability. I think we, we get a little bit carried away in the younger age groups. Parents may be the same. You know, I don't want to have a dig at parents, but they get a bit hysterical about the ability of their child. So they start talking and there's a lot of reinforcement, positive reinforcement for these kids, which is great, but no one knows. Not even myself in my role now or, or anyone. No one knows at 10, 11, 12 or even 13 who's going to make it in the game, whether they're going to play for Australia or whether they're going to play for Turinga Rovers or give up the game at 17. No one knows. I think it's important that you encourage and you nurture, but I think also we can't give too much to the child too early. They've got to still go and earn it. And I think that is what drives accountability. Can you talk about your progression from junior football into an elite professional level you know it wasn't an easy road and and growing up in queensland when i did i didn't see anything wrong with it but the pathways were slightly uh more difficult than what they are now there's a clear pathway to the top now through the brisbane roar and the academy back then there was no academy it was probably the qas the old qas system which i spent a little bit of time in but then phased back into club land so for those who don't know qas is queensland Academy of Sport? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, Queensland Academy of Sport. And how did that work? Through identification, through Clubland. So you either trialled or you got identified playing for your club. 
and you'd be invited into playing the QIS. Now it was a development side below the NSL side. They weren't linked as such, but but I guess there a lot of players went from the QIS into say at the time the Brisbane Strikers, or they didn't. But there wasn't really a progression from from junior f- football into it. It was a case of it was quite I wouldn't call it random, but it was just one, a one off team, and and you were either playing professional football for the Brisbane Strikers or you were in that development phase where you were identified as one of the best 16 to 20 players in the state. And that would be between an age bracket of 16 to 20. How did you progress into the strikers? Well, my route was a little bit different. Like I said, I did get invited in for a while and I was training and play, playing with the, the QAS, but it was only a short time. When I came back out, I went back to Turinga Rovers. And you talk about goal setting and objectives. My objective when I went back was to then find my way into the first team to play men's football. And we were told back then, and I think it's even true right now, that if you're going to progress to professional football, you need to be not just playing in the local league against men, but you need to be performing and being the best player in the local league. And, and that was seen as the benchmark or the way forward or the pathway, if you like, back when I grew up. If you were consistently performing at local level and you were the best on the park, you're going to get noticed and, and your opportunity would come. And, and that's how it turned out for me. I I had a very good season at 17, 18, around that age, playing for um, Lions, Lions FC. And then I got an opportunity to go trial down at Adelaide City in the old NSL which I took, I went down there. It was a very good time for me, although I got injured. I got a really bad injury. So not being fully signed at the time, although they were interested in me signing, but then having an injury that was going to keep me out for three to five months, I decided to come back to Brisbane. What was the injury? A groin injury. I I tore my groin off the bone. It was quite a really bad tear. So it was going to require a lot of treatment. You often hear of players at that age receiving an injury that's a long-term or or medium-term injury. They stop training they don't do their rehabilitation and they fall off the elite pathway how did you manage to deal with that injury and what did you do to make sure that your goals and everything you needed to achieve were still attainable well at the time i didn't think too much of it as being a young kid you think it's an injury you're going to recover but again i was really focused on wanting to play professional football i I think that experience down in Adelaide gave me real confidence i could play at the time NSL because I was uh, training and playing with some very good players down there at the time and I held my own, you know, and I was only quite young. I had great belief that get fit, go back to Brisbane, rehab properly, which I did at Lions, and then get another good, whatever it may be, season under my belt to get back to that level and try and secure myself a contract. And, and that's what I did. I wasn't to know at the time that the groin injury I got was ultimately what ended my career early because it was something that plagued me on and off for the rest of my football career, eventually sort of getting the better of me when I was in Scotland. But my mindset at that time uh, was very positive, knowing that, yeah, I had the injury, but before that I was performing well on the level that I knew I could get to. We often mistaken rest for rehab. Yes. Uh, I mean, rest is important, as, as we know. And I think sometimes we probably, we don't get enough rest, especially today in the modern age. But, but rehab is very important, especially when you're injured, you know, coming back from an injury, doing the right things. Because resting uh, is great for the body, but there might be something that needs to, to not only be corrected in your body, but also um, strengthened as well. So I think to, the two are very different. Yeah. Do you think there was a, an, another way of dealing with that injury that could have potentially given you longevity? 100%. You know, I sit here now quite comfortable knowing that I could have done more in my rehab. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say I did everything. I didn't, you know, and I didn't know enough back then. I was, like I said, I was a young kid. I thought, well, it'll be fine. It'll heal. I'll I'll play and it won't be a problem. It plagued me for my career. And if I look back in those uh, years, I would have definitely looked after my body a lot better, 
concentrated on my core, core core stability done a lot more away from the ball that would have made me not only stronger probably more powerful but also yeah giving me a longer career in the game i dropped into physical health services to speak to callum island who is an experienced sports and rehab physiotherapist and he gave me a better idea of the nature of warren's injury uh, so osteitis pubis is uh, really an umbrella term that's applied to, and uh, sometimes incorrectly, to groin pain, particularly in, in soccer, in football, um, and if I, in AFL it's common, do see it in, in uh, other sports. It's load-related. Um, when we try and differentiate and work out what structures are causative, sometimes it's actually an adductor strain or groin strain. Sometimes it's hip flexors, so it can be muscular, but when it is osteitis pubis proper, um, then there's usually inflammation, um, you know, in, in the bone and the soft tissues where the pelvis meets. Um, and so you're often looking at shear forces, putting pressure on that area. Uh, so we need to have a really good look at the biomechanics of that individual, their running gait, their walking gait, even the patterns that they use when they're kicking um, and load management is a really critical thing there. So, um, you know, a graded return, um, but a, a really thorough rehab program. It's not the sort of thing where you just wait three months, come back and think that it'll be gone. Whatever's caused it in the first place is likely to cause it again. The other thing is with that load management that we have to be really, really careful of not ramping up the training volume. So people often have a rest and then they're trying to catch up and make up for lost time and they come straight back into the volume that set it off in the first place. So it's got to be a really reduced volume and keep them essentially symptom-free. So it's not one of those conditions where you can push through it. There are some things where we say, yeah, you know, you can safely push this a bit. You're going to get some pain, but it'll be okay. This is one of the things where the warning flags come up and we say, no, you know, this is something that you don't want to muck around with. You don't want to tolerate pain and try and train through it. It will only get worse. Callum then explained what signs and symptoms to look out for as an indication that something is wrong and needs attention. When we grade it, um, there are some scales in which you can grade it, but the big step is when you go from one-sided pain to two-sided pain. That's usually a, a transition, a sign that it's worsening. Then when the pain starts to radiate into either the abdominal region or down into the legs, and then also when the pain is no longer associated just with the, the high velocity or high impact activity. So once you start to get pain during daily activity, you know, walking, walking upstairs, those sorts of things, or when that pain converts to nighttime pain. If you're getting aching at night, that's often a sign that you're getting you know, a stress reaction in the bone, that the bone itself is starting to become inflamed. Um, and then it's really time to... Um, pull up uh, in terms of reducing all the impact on it and let it heal. How important do you think it is for a young player to connect with a good physio or a good doctor, particularly if those injuries continue? It's always good to get good advice from, from people. But the one thing I would say is that you can get a lot of good advice from people that want to help you in terms of physios and high performance experts in the game. But it's another thing for that person, again, to go and do it be accountable for their own self, for their own body. I see a lot of players that say they put in the work, but do they really, do they go home and do their rehab or prehab? Do they really look after their body? 
they're the ones that do progress i find you know i see some here you know they're genuine about their body they're genuine about looking after it because at the end of the day that's their biggest asset it's their body if they can keep it healthy and and strong and they do have ability then they're obviously going to be a force is there a time where a young athlete gets it i think they can be educated from as, as young as 13 when the body starts to change you know 12 13 they could be doing strength exercises at that age i'm not talking lifting weights i'm talking body weight exercises that build the core build the strength build the base i was lucky enough in my previous employment to come from a school here in brisbane that had not only um, amazing sports programs but they have invested heavily in a high performance strength and conditioning program through all, all the elite programs in the school which means not only were our athletes getting great opportunity to strengthen but they were getting educated on how to look after their body at an early age and how to recover and how to, I guess, look after their body in between exercises or in between performance. They were getting educated at an early age and they were put into an environment where they could actually maintain and manage themselves knowing that they were confidently A, lifting or doing things with good technique, B, making sure that their bodies were in prime sort of condition when they were uh, needing to perform. I want to bring you back to where you've had the injury, you've come back to Brisbane and you've set yourself a goal, you've done your rehab. Can you tell us how you then progressed into the next part of your life? I came back and again, it was the same thing. It was, well, the only way I'm going to get to the next level is if I'm the best player in the local league here in Brisbane. And back then the Forex League or whatever it was called, I think it was called the, the Forex League, the State League, was a very tough competition because it was there was no split comps and it was just men's football, a lot of ex, ex-professionals, very, very tough. And I set my goal to not only come back to Lions, and I came to Lions at a time where a lot was changing. Miran Blyberg had taken over and a lot of very good players had joined the club. I was a young player recovering from an injury. And I don't think if you'd have asked them, I would have been the first name on the team sheet when that season started. I knew that I was going to have to obviously perform. And, and that's how it turned out. I, I had to bide my time a little bit for the first probably eight to 10 weeks in the reserves because I was coming back from injury and there was a lot of very good players. And, you know, Brad Didden was probably the, the biggest one that I remember because he was an Ollie Roo and he had played for the under 23s and uh, for Australia. So he was quite a high profile name that had played the game and played National League. And he was obviously in the midfield at the time. So I think the good thing about it was one, I was learning off him, watching him in training, but two, I was improving all the time and I was still very single-minded in the, in the fact that I knew where I had to get to. I had to get into that first team. I had to perform. I had to play well because if I didn't do that, there's no way I could have gone to the next level. When you talk about what was above, the strikers were going very well in the National League. So I was a long way back from where I needed to be. I needed to be in the first team at Lions to be noticed to try and get into the strikers. So I was a long way back at that time, but it, I certainly wasn't discouraged. I was, uh, I was actually more determined. So as it turned out, that season I had a very good year, found my way into the uh, first team, played. We had some very good performances. We won, I think, everything there was to win. And uh, I think the following year I was signed at the Brisbane Strikers. My goal was to become a professional footballer. That's what my goal was. I, I, I was very self-aware. I knew I wasn't going to be a superstar of world football. That, that was never my intention. My intention was to play professional football. I was single-minded about that. I, I wanted to achieve that. that. That was my goal, my focus. When it came, it was, it was a great feeling knowing I'd signed my first professional contract at the Strikers. And how was that first season? A whirlwind because there was me signing, but then there was a lot of off-field changes in that summer 
with me signing. So where there was a core group of very good players at the Brisbane Strikers, there was a huge shift in the way the direction the club went. I think a new coach came in, a lot of good players, experienced players moved on. And then there's me coming in with a lot of good young Queenslanders signing. And all of a sudden we're looking around going, well, not only am I here, but there's an opportunity here for me to play as well. And that's how it turned out. I think I played almost every game in my first year in the National League, started quite a lot of games and ended up winning the uh, the Young Player of the Year for the club in my first season in the National League. Your next progression was to Queensland Raw? Yeah, it was, but there was a setback in between. Um, again, it comes back to my body and, and you know, we ha- I had a great year, but I, I had come off the back of a Lions State League season going directly into the NSL upon me signing, so there was no off-season for me. Unfortunately, the groin failed me again. I think by the time I'd hit the semi-final, we'd played. We had a very good year that year. In my first year with the Strikers, we'd made we finished fourth or fifth, I think, and we we made the the, the semi-finals against Adelaide United. And by the second leg of that semi-final, I think I was bedridden in between matches with the groin. It was that bad. I was on painkillers to play games, which wasn't great for a for a nineteen year old at the time, knowing I was literally on on, on painkillers to try and get in, in between games so once that game finished i just remember as much it was disappointed disappointed it was more relief that i could stop and i think i spent six weeks bedridden between going to the physio and just doing nothing I, my body was shattered and my groin was really bad and i remember wanting to do the prehab but at the time i was just so shattered and exhausted that i, I remember i just spent six weeks doing very little at all and it happened at the time where there was a a huge shift and change in Australian football where the NSL had died out that ended up being the last season of the NSL and the formation of the A-League began so there was a big off season in a way it was good to have an extended break but also I had to restart again because I was injured there was a new club coming in into the league there was the strikers no more and I had to again fight for my place to try and find myself getting a professional contract at the new club. At 19, with such a debilitating injury, was it a doubt in your mind that you could ever recover? Again, you know, I think just being a young a young kid, you just think you will. You, you know, I, I didn't think it was going to be a problem. I thought, okay, well, this is just an injury. It'll get better. And it did. You know, it did get better in the sense that I could play. But I didn't know... This it was starting to get to the stage now, whereas I didn't know what it was like to play with completely pain three in the groin. So I could get myself to a certain point, and I could certainly feel good about myself and play and get around the park and move. But I'd always have niggles, and that would be on a good day. And sometimes I'd have setbacks. I'd, I'd tweak it, and I'd have to manage it, and then I'd have to rest it. And it probably wasn't the best thing for a 19, 20, 21 year old, you know, in that period of of my life, knowing that I should really be a lot fitter and healthier and stronger than I was. And that was prob- that probably should have been a bigger warning sign to me back then than what it was. And then you said the off-season was longer and you were able to get back into some form of training. How did you break into the Queensland Raw team? Well, it was an interesting time. You know, uh, Miron Blyberg was appointed the coach um, at the time. And so you would think it might have been an obvious solution for me to go back there and, and sign, but um, it wasn't that easy. I was injured. So I had come back. I had to fight for it again. I had to try. I, I wasn't initially offered a contract. I, I got told I had to prove my fitness. That was a stressful time for me because I had left Lions, who, who at the time were the local league club, to go on to something which I thought would progress me, to then get told that now 
in, in essence, I had to go back there, but then they had to fight and trial for a position at the club, which I sort of progressed from. So, but I, you know, I was uh, I was determined again and single-minded and really uh, wanted to, to, to obviously find my way back there. And eventually I was offered a contract and, and signed for the Raw. And you played in that inaugural season. Yeah, I did. I played pretty much all the games. Didn't start as much as I'd like, but that's the way it goes. I certainly played my part. I was a part of the first game at Suncorp and I think I was the first player for the club to score an away goal. We went to Perth and I scored. I certainly played my part in that first year. In that year, it was hard for Queensland Raw to score at home, but they scored more away than they did at home in that first season? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, there was there was a crazy stat, actually, that I don't think for the first 12 rounds or something we didn't score at home when I wasn't on the pitch. And I don't know if that had anything to do with me or not. I doubt it. But it was a, there was a weird stat that, that came out. And uh, I think we eventually broke that as the season went on. But, yeah, it was a, it was a bit of a crazy year because it felt like we were controlling and doing very well in games, but we just really struggled to score. It was a hard year for... Queensland Raw, there was a lot of criticism of the coach at the time. A lot of people seemed dissatisfied. How do you deal with that white noise, that outside noise as a player when things aren't going so well as a club? We didn't really see that criticism towards us, I guess. I know there was criticism towards the coach. I know we, we kind of knew there, was a, a, there wasn't necessarily an acceptance around Brisbane Raw at the time because... Lions were a huge club in the local league and, and they weren't a loved club, I think it's fair to say. But I think from, from our point of view, we, we saw us as a very young side that had a lot of good young Queensland players in it and we saw it as an opportunity and, and we didn't feel like we were playing poorly that year. We felt like we were entertaining and we could we knew that the crowd weren't happy about results or we knew that there were suggestions we could potentially do, do a bit better than we did but I always felt we entertained I always felt we played a high octane brand of football and there was a lot of good players in that team that went on to have very good careers and and that was maybe where it started for a lot of them sometimes you select a development squad to achieve greater outcomes later on do you still see that as important for coaching I do depending on the environment professional football is a lot about winning but whether by design or by accident, that side was put together and it would have been great if more Queenslanders had stayed after that first year because there was a nucleus of a good core group there of young Queensland players that had they have stayed together, I think they may have found success a little bit quicker than what they did at Brisbane Raw. Having said that, you know, what followed in the years to come under and was amazing and certainly that's something we could have all aspired to, to be a part of a, a side like that because it was probably the best side that we've seen in this country uh, in Australian football ever. I, I want to talk to you about your, your transition from playing in Australia. Yeah, I um, I had a contract offer on the table to, to stay at Brisbane Raw and in my mind growing up and especially being English born, it was always my goal to play professional football but it was always to be in England and play. So I decided to go and trial over in, in Europe or, or the UK. So I walked away from an opportunity for a contract here. And I think it's fair to say I regret that decision now. I could have had another season at Brisbane Raw and I think it would have probably given me a bit more longevity in professional football had I stayed because what was to follow was probably, one, not what I expected in terms of the grass is not always greener and the perception of the UK and, and, and playing football overseas is not exactly what you think it might be. The facilities, for, for one, you know, the clubs I went to, famous clubs as well, you know, 
I, I, I had a great time at Hibs in the short time I was there, and that was a good experience. But it wasn't it wasn't long enough, and it didn't quite work out that I could sign there in the long term. So I went to Hibs. Uh, I was offered. Uh, uh, they flew me over. I had a trial there. It went well. I was going to be offered a contract there. I loved the place. So I didn't know it at the time, but I was surrounded by what was to become legends of Scottish football. Yeah. So you know, my first session there, I, I, I was coached by Tony Mowbray. You know, even now he's had an impact on me in the short time I was there in terms of coaching his impact on me on how to treat players and the way he spoke to players is is something that sticks out for me is has a lasting impact on sort of how I, I would like to be treated as a player and I, I hope I've taken that with me in, in my coaching as well because he was um, a great person. So what did he do that made his coaching so impressionable on you? Footballs can be quite a tough environment but if you can still manage to be a human a good human and a good person through all that, that that does stick out and and it does leave a mark. If you imagine coming on trial and you're a young kid from Australia and you're in 30 players in a group in pre-season in Scotland and the, the gaffer comes over and then he looks around and he makes a point and he calls your name out, Warren, and I'll put my hand up and he, and he comes over, shakes my hand and he says, great to have you here. That was, for me, was something that it doesn't have to happen. You know, I've had another experience where I share the car journey all the way up to Dundee with Alex Ray, who was a Dundee manager. I literally jumped in the car and he didn't speak to me for the whole hour up there. Didn't speak to me at training. Didn't speak to me in the car ride home. That was a complete flip side of what I experienced from Tony. But Tony, from the moment I got there, you know, and he didn't have to as well. He, he used to drop me home after training to the hotel. I don't know many first team coaches here, let alone in Scotland, that would do that. And he would just chat to me about my life, my upbringing. It was, it was quite a surreal thing, really. He was... Uh, he seemed interested and seemed to care. And I, I found that interesting because immediately I, I would love to play for him. You know, already he, he won me over. I wanted to play for him because he was someone that you just took to straight away. The way he spoke to players, the way he dealt with players, you know, it was, yeah, it was just really impressive. Can you explain what happened with your trial with Hibs? Well, it just seemed to drag out. They wanted to sign me and um, I was there and I was there for weeks and weeks and they were trying to move on a player that was coming to the end of their career, but he was hanging on and um, they needed him to go for, for me to be offered the contract. And you know, I think five, six, seven weeks had passed and I was still there. And then so in between, you know, my agent was taking me out and I was going to trial at other places to try and put pressure on them. And, you know, they were still putting me up in the hotel. So I'd go there and come back and we were still waiting. And it was um, it got to the point where um, the season had started and I was still there, but still no contract. Hibs were doing well, very well at the time. And I'd come back from a couple of trials. I turned down a couple of places that had offered me something because I was hoping to sign for Hibs. That was my choice. But I think the success of Tony at the time meant that he got offered the job at West Brom. So when he went, John Collins came in. Within a few days of him being there and me being there, the, the trail went cold. It was time to find another club. So that's football. I really wanted to be at Hibs. It was such a wonderful place, Edinburgh, and and but the club as well. But that's the way it goes, you know. I then had to find something, so my agent then sort of sent me to a couple of places. I went, I went to Scunthorpe, did really well there on the trial, and was hoping to sign there. But for whatever reason, the terms of the the contract didn't agree with my agent and and them at the time and I didn't didn't end up going there and for whatever reason I found myself down at Queen in the South in the Scottish border in the the Scottish Championship and uh, it was always going to be a short-term thing to try and find myself in the Scottish Premier League and as it turned out it, it ended up staying for the whole season and yeah, and that's where I ended up. And how was your experience in one of the most beautiful parts of Scotland? Well, it is beautiful, I have to say. It rains a lot. 
Um, it was it was quite tough. It was um, so far away from Queensland. It was uh, it was not funny. It was something I'll never forget in terms of an experience. You know, because I think the glamour of the idea of that professional football can get lost on, on a young player when they think about you know going overseas playing professional football. But you know, I stayed in the hotel that could be best described something out of Faulty Towers in a back room that was put up by the club. That was my home for the for the the whole the twelve months. The heating wasn't working properly. It was damp in the room. It was. Uh, quite depressing actually rained every day there so it was uh <laughs> it was an interesting experience and then lived in a small town i lived in dumfries and uh, a lot of the players didn't even live in dumfries they lived in glasgow and commuted to, to training so it was an interesting experience young players talk about the glamour of football the glamour of football isn't necessarily what were the reality of football no not at all and and you know what i look back at that time and think you know what i, I i've left brisbane raw and I've had to leave to realise how good I had it here in terms of the facility and, and the setup and the way we got looked after here in Australia. And I, if I had my time again, I would have taken that contract and stayed and I would have developed my game further and looked after myself and improved myself here because I went overseas and the conditions were poor, the weather was poor, we trained on AstroTurf pitches, the physios, the setup was, was, not, a, was not of a level that I thought it would be. And, and yet again, and as expected, when you're training four sessions a week on the natural turf pitch, my groin didn't like it. And, and but this time, I, I it was more ruthless over there. So there was pressure on me to play. We we ended up in the relegation dogfight. So I played with pain, and before you knew it, that same pain had come back. And by the end of the season, I was in so much pain that it hurt to cough to get out of bed. And then I kind of knew I pushed it to the point where I was in trouble. It was a pretty low experience because I was away from family friends. I didn't end up playing in the last three or four games of the season because I could barely walk. I kind of knew then, yeah, it wasn't going to get, I was always going to have it because it was to the point where I was, you know, 24 now. I was always going to have that. How hard is it for somebody with such passion and drive to have to come to terms with the fact that they may not achieve uh, the goals that they've set for themselves? You were born in England and I guess your passion was to play in England at some point and sitting in that damp, cold hotel, how hard was it to come to terms with the fact that you may not reach that goal? Well, it's funny, I, you know, and everyone's different, you know, different football's a very unique game is that different styles, different cultures means that, you know, that could determine whether a player could be suited or not suited. But my style of game was never going to be suited for the lower leagues of England ever. The experience, like, you know, I look at the experience and, and think overall it probably was a failure and it probably was a mistake to go there, but I probably had to go through it as a life lesson to know the grass is not always greener on the other side. And what it actually helped me with is in my coaching. These moments, because I, I, I look at my career and when I talk about my career as a player, it wasn't long from the moment I got an opportunity down in Adelaide to then playing at the Strikers or the Raw or in Scotland. It wasn't long. It wasn't as long as I hoped, but it gave me some so much valuable life lessons in terms of what I could take into coaching. And I think I knew my love of the game, knew I wanted to be in football my whole life. And I knew that a coaching career would offer me that. That would be the best way to stay in, in football. So, yeah, it wasn't a great experience in the way it ended in Scotland. It left me in the crossroads knowing that I'd be coming back to Australia to then rehab for a long time. I did it. I had osteitis pubis so bad that it was everywhere and there was an option for surgery, but that wouldn't be guaranteed to fix it. Or there was pretty much nine to 12 months out of the game of complete rehab. And even then we weren't sure how I'd come back. And 
I certainly didn't. I didn't come back anywhere near as mobile as I needed to be to then play professional football again. And so I kind of knew it was probably done at that point in terms of professional football. And then you come back and you take on a playing and coaching role for Eastern Suburbs? Yeah, well, I had a couple of options. And look, I came back and I got offered an opportunity to go to Perth Glory, which was an interesting thing because I had friends telling me I should take it, knowing I was injured. But that wasn't me. I, I couldn't go into an environment where I was telling a lie. But would that be an opportunity to, to, for them to rehab me and get me fit? And But then I knew it wasn't right. So I, I let that one go. And then I knew that I needed to do something. And uh, a good friend of mine, Scott Higgins, who I uh, played with at the Raw, goalkeeper, he was sort of in between as well and thought about getting into coaching. And Together as a, as a pair, we, we took a co-coaching role, which ended up coaching playing eventually when I got fit. But we took Eastern Suburbs in the uh, local league and that was my first sort of uh, dabbling into senior coaching. I managed to track down Warren's coaching partner, Scott Higgins, who is now living in Darwin. Scott was a goalkeeper and played with Warren at the Brisbane Strikers and Queensland Raw. They then kept in contact in Scotland until partnering as co-coaches for Eastern Suburbs Football Club. Scott recounts how he met Warren and how fate led them to become co-coaches. It was during the old National Soccer League with the Brisbane Strikers. We both signed for them in the last year of the old NSL before I went into the A-League. Had a pretty successful season under Screw McLaren there, actually. We did quite well. Got knocked out in the semi-finals or the quarter-finals, I think. And then we were both lucky enough to get contracts with, back then it was Queensland Raw. It was all very new. The league the, from the old National Soccer League went to a more professional setup. We were playing out of Suncorp Stadium and had a really good training base out of Lions. We were all full-time footballers, which was a first for a national team in Brisbane. Yeah, it, it was really exciting and we, we did quite well that season. We had a pretty young team. Probably didn't hit the heights we should have. But yeah, overall, I think it was a pretty successful season. I left after season one and signed for a club in the Scottish Premier League. So I was playing with Falkirk in the Scottish Premier League and then Warren had come over to trial at those clubs. I actually put him up for a couple of months on my couch <laughs> while he was trialling in Scotland and then he headed down to England where he had some family. And then he returned to Australia and we obviously just stayed in touch. I finished my commitments in Scotland and then had a season in Israel and came back to Australia. And then, yeah, look, it just kind of fell into place. He said, look, there's a coaching gig going at East. Is it something you're interested in? And I was, you know, half interested. We were both still playing, but we thought, why not? And we took it on and we had a really successful season there, actually. We got on well most of the time. <laughs> we obviously had uh, our own opinions on certain things. But, yeah, look, Warren... As a coach, I mean, he was an unbelievable footballer that probably never really hit the heights he should have, but he's a far better coach than he is a footballer. And that's not taking anything away from his football credit because he was an unbelievable footballer. That's how good a coach I believe he is. So, mate, he was he was probably the main man at East, to be honest. And I was just kind of along for the ride and learning bits and pieces off him as, as we went. I asked Scott why he thinks Warren is so suitable for the role as general manager of the Brisbane Raw Academy. One, because of his coaching credentials. Obviously, he's he's gone out and he's, and he's done all his badges that he needs to do through the FFA. Two, he, he was very, very successful in every club he's been at in Brisbane that he's coached at. And obviously, he knows the game because he was a quality player. But most of all, I think what he brings is his connection with the community. I think it's probably one of the best appointments Brisbane Roy has made over the last couple of seasons when it comes to comes to coaches. That's true. All 
teams at Brisbane Raw. I just think that it's just a really, really good match for Brisbane Raw and they've certainly got a very dedicated and professional guy in there that knows how much culture means to teams and how much culture means to winning games and being a successful club. So I think they've made a really, really smart move by getting Warren involved at Brisbane Raw, that's for sure. We have reached the end of part one of The Gospel According to Warren Moon. In part two, we will speak to Warren about his move from Easts to the greater public school system and then his experiences so far at the Brisbane Roar Academy. A match day Saturday is a huge, huge thing. And if you're lucky enough to be picked in the first 11 of your GPS school, you don't just carry the weight of expectation on your own shoulders, you carry it on the school. And, and a lot of the kids talk about that and they feel that, you know, you're talking about playing in front of a thousand people. You get more kids to a GPS game than you would to any state league men's game. And the atmosphere is electric and it's intimidating. And, you know, the amount of times I watch these players, you know, we've got players in our program here right now that you put them in a, a Brisbane Roar under 20s game on the weekend, they're fine. They'll go produce, they'll go play the 90 minutes, no problem. But you put them in 80 minutes because it's less than GPS of a high intense GPS game on a Saturday with the build up, the expectation, the pressure, the amount of players that break down and cramp because they're just physically and emotionally spent before the game's done, it was staggering. They would physically give everything and it might still not, might not be enough because they just put so much into it and there's so much expectation from them and put on them by them in the school in regards to trying to beat a rival. Everyone's rivals, everyone hates everyone. That's, that, that's always the build up, but yeah, there's. Is, it's unique. I've never seen anything like it. If you'd like to nominate a junior athlete to be showcased in one of our future champion episodes, simply go to our website and complete the nomination form. Don't forget to follow Intense Sport on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Visit our website at www.intentsport.com or listen to our podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or Stitcher.